Turn your Bibles to chapter 11 of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, the elders obtained a good report. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it being dead, yet speaketh. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death, and was not found because God translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen, as he moved with fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world, and became heir to the righteousness which is by faith. By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out, not knowing whither he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which had foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed, and was delivered of a child when she was past age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore sprang there even of one, and him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky in multitude, and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from which they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country, that is, an heavenly. Wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he hath prepared for them a city. Hebrews chapter 11. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 11 is built on this launching pad that begins in the previous chapter, quoting from Habakkuk. This statement that just shall live by faith is quoted in other places in the New Testament. It's a promise and it's a command. We're told to live by faith and we're promised we're going to live by faith. If you have been imputed with the righteousness of Christ, it's because you believed in Christ alone. We are saved by Christ alone through faith alone. But that faith does not stay alone. It bears fruit. Can I get an amen? amen? Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Who wants to bring God pleasure? But we are not of those who draw back to perdition or destruction, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. Now faith is, keep in mind that chapter numbers and verse numbers were put there for reference purposes. 
It's wonderful. You don't have to dig and try to find where you mark that favorite verse. You actually can, can memorize the number of the verse. So that wasn't there in the original writings, but the original writings, they did write with paragraphs. So whenever I read the scriptures, I always like to use a Bible that has it divided by the paragraphs it was written in. And so the next paragraph begins by defining faith. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So you could say now faith is the evidence of things not seen. I don't see it yet, but I have faith for it because God gave me the faith. The Lord gives faith. The Bible says, Paul wrote in his letter to one of the churches, he said, by grace are you saved through faith. And that faith is what he's referring to. That is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. So faith that saves is given to us by God. Why? Because we need help to get saved. Because we're not saved by our intelligence or our IQ or our education. We're saved by grace through faith. Think about what we believe. The Son of God became a man by being born to a virgin, living a perfect life, dying an unjust death, and three days later, raising from the dead, and 40 days later, ascending back to the Father after promising to return. Who believes that? That's impossible to believe. But God gave you the faith. God gave you the faith. So don't browbeat, don't browbeat unbelievers. You can't browbeat them into faith. You just share the gospel. And when the Lord helps their eyes open, they have faith. Faith is a fruit of the Spirit. If the Holy Spirit is in your life, he will develop love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, self-control against such there is no law. So this Holy Spirit generates faith in our lives. And when needed, as He wills, there is the gift of faith. It's one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It's used for doing impossible tasks. An example of that can be seen in Acts where Paul stood on a ship about to sink and said, Sirs, I believe in God. Stay on the ship if you want to survive. That, look, that looked like something they probably shouldn't do. Don't abandon ship. But the gift of faith gave him the boldness to declare the truth that God had given him in the face of impossible odds. So faith is not conjured up. If you want to nurture your faith, read the Word of God, listen for the Lord, worship the Lord, and when He speaks to you, you have assurance. It, you, it, you know that you heard from God. So faith's not like blind. It sees, but not with the natural eye. Does that make sense? So let's read our text again. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtain a good testimony. And then he launches into the stories of our forefathers, spiritual forefathers. 
By faith we understand, starting with God himself, that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. So God himself, I hate to say God has faith, but God himself saw what he wanted and spoke it into existence of his will. Now, our will, we can come up with stuff. Peter came up with stuff. Let's build three tabernacles. Witty idea, right? That would have been a whole nother religion. One for Moses, one for Elijah, one for Jesus. And he got corrected by the Father with that one. So it's not just creative thinking. I don't want to kill creative thinking, but you always submit your creative ideas to the Lord and seek Him. That keeps us safe. The things that are seen were made of things that are not visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it he being dead still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. So, you have two men that had pleased God. You know, when we come into the world, we learn to please our parents, right? When you get married, you learn to please your spouse. You get a job, you try to please your boss, right? You have a business, you want to please your customers. But what about God? We want to please Him. It's impossible to do, though, without faith. It does not mean you live a dishonest life. It does not mean we fake it till we make it. No, we faith it till we make it. Run to Him with your doubts and fears. Very, be very honest to Him. Uh, joke about somebody trying to have faith. He was sick and he said, I don't have a cold. You got a cold? Say it. It's okay. Now whining and complaining and magnifying your problems, that's a whole nother thing. But a life of faith is not f a fake life. We live in the real world and embrace the whole counsel of God as he teaches it to us. So Enoch was a man that walked with God so far one commentary says, till he didn't come back. Somebody said, God said, you know, we're closer to my house than yours. Why don't you come home with me? <laughs> Verse 6, but without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So, the life of faith is a life of seeking God, seeking His will, seeking His revelation in our life. Diligently, not just on Sunday mornings or once a quarter or Christmas and Easter. The rewarder of faith is looking for those that diligently seek Him. You know, if you're a, a good father, a good mother, and your child lives in fear of going hungry, that would not please you, right? My kids think I'm a loser. No, if your children trust you and there's pressure on you, you don't tell them about all your problems when you're endeavoring to solve problems because you want your child to have a happy childhood, right? 
The Father doesn't want us worrying all the time. Jesus, you know, we're called to live by his commands, basically said, thou shalt not worry. Do not worry. Be anxious for nothing. That's the word. And that pleases him when we trust him. Oh, I didn't bind the right devil. Come on. I won't get into that again. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, can we say respect, prepared an ark for the saving of his household. You know, God didn't say, build me an ark. He said, build yourself an ark. Why? God didn't need an ark. But Noah and his family did, right? prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. So God alone gave him faith alone, but that faith did not stay alone. It created an ark. The desires in Noah's heart came to pass, wanting to please God. By faith, verse 8, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. So he's given all these great promises, and when he died he hadn't seen the fulfillment of very much of them. But when he died, he died in hope because ultimately he was looking beyond the real estate we call Israel. He was looking to the heavenly city whose builder and maker is God. The promise God gave him was for his generations, for his seed. In your seed, the world is going to be blessed. And the world is blessed by the Jewish people. I mean, inventions you use every day Children of Abraham had something to do with a lot of that, including slow drip irrigation. (laughs) In Zimbabwe, they're blessed. But ultimately, the seed is Jesus. Born of a virgin Jewess. Raised by Jewish father in Jewish culture. The seed of God The seed of woman, bless the world. Are you thankful for the gospel? By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age. Because this is how faith works. She judged him faithful who had promised. So the foundation of our faith rests on, is the one who promised me faithful? Is he? You've got to make that decision in your heart. Am I going to determine God is faithful? Faithful one, so unchanging. Amen. She judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, verse 12, from one man and one woman came Isaac. And him good as dead were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. So you look at the Middle East, they're the descendants of Abraham, all of them. 
Jews and the other folks. These all died, verse 13, last paragraph we're going to read today. These all died not having received the promises. They had faith and they died before they were fulfilled. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. So our faith does not depend upon the length of our lifetime. We'll come back to that in a minute. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Looking for a city. Faith, one translation says, is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. So last Sunday we spoke on the elements of living by faith. We saw that it involves valuing the gospel highly. It listens for the word of God. You're listening. You're you're wanting God to give you the ability to hear his voice. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes by the word of God. So God gives the hearing And the hearing gives the faith. So when he speaks to you, faith comes as a result. It just does. And our response should be like Mary when she received the word from God through the angel Gabriel that she's going to have the Son of God. She said, be it unto me according to thy word. Be it unto me, Lord, according as you have promised. It It involves embracing the Lord's life within Christ we saw dwells in our hearts through faith. So if he's living in me through faith, I need to embrace the reality of that, that I am never alone, that loneliness is actually a deception. And so faith can help us win that battle. Learning from Abraham's example, we're going to talk about that today, and Abel's example, and Enoch's example. Living by faith involves resisting our enemy steadfastly, submitting to God and resisting the enemy. And it involves keeping an eternal perspective. It does not involve fantasy or wishful thinking. Faith is not limited by our lifespan, but by God himself, who's eternal. I want to come back to that. And faith is not a synonym for our relationship with God. It's popular to talk about your faith and not about the Lord Jesus Christ. My faith is Jesus Christ. Deal with it. Amen. Amen. You can talk about Buddha and not be offended. Talk about Muhammad and not be offended. Talk about Satan and not be offended. But suddenly you say the name of Jesus and people are losing their minds. Why? There's something there. (laughs) He's an offense. He's a scandal. The cross is an offense. It tells people they're sinners and they need a Savior. And he had the audacity to declare he's the only way. He's the only truth and the only life. He did. We don't have to be intentionally rude about it, but we can be bold. Amen? So let's talk about limited by our lifespan. I shared earlier that faith 
Saving faith is a gift from God. Faith can be a gift of the Spirit, and faith can be a fruit of the Spirit. So if it comes from God originally, then faith never dies. Right? Whatever is not a faith is sin, the Bible says. So faith is not sin. Whatever is not a faith is sin. So faith is not sinful. So faith doesn't have the curse to contend with. Right? So God gives us faith and it never dies. Now believers die, but the faith they have lives on. Elijah was a mighty prophet, performed X amount of miracles. Elisha followed in his footsteps, received his mantle, and asked for a double portion of his spirit. And he died one miracle short of, in his ministry of doubling the miracles of Elijah. Amazing. So time rocks along in Israel's history. There's a battle. A young soldier is killed. They open up Elisha's grave and throw the dead soldier in there who lands on Elisha's bones and raises from the dead. Faith received what God agreed with, right? Elisha asked, God must have agreed with it because here's a dead man's bones raising a guy from the dead. Jesus had faith to believe in his resurrection, right? He rose from the dead. We have faith to believe in our resurrection. So that faith's not going to die when our bodies die. In fact, we don't die, but our bodies get replaced. And one day that faith is going to be fulfilled at the great resurrection when the dead in Christ rise first. And those of us that remain here will be caught up to meet them in the air. So the ones that have gone before us are going to go before us. Where are they right now? Don't get me into that. <laughs> we'll deal with that another time. Faith is also not really blind to your friends that may be blind, but, but, but you're seeing things. Not because you're visualizing, I'm going to visualize a new car because I want a new car. Uh, there's power in that, but that's not necessarily God. God can give you a vision. So the, the thing blind faith, that's assigned to faith by people that don't see. Oh, he's running off in blind faith, being a missionary to Africa. But look at the fruit of his ministry, and you'll see that he actually saw some things. Amen. Can some fruit stand up right now? Okay. She loves America. She's more patriotic than me. Amen. The country she's in is a one-party state. You know, with all of our political problems, you do not want a one-party state. Keeps accountability in place. All right. Faith is not risk-taking per se. In and of itself, it is not risk-taking. Because if God gave you a promise and you were obeying him, Mary took a risk, but did she really? Take a risk? Think about it. If God's promises are yes and amen, then the most risky thing you can do is disobey God. 
right? You see those TV shows? Oh, I was going bankrupt, and I maxed out all my credit cards and borrowed all the money from my in-laws and started the business in my garage, and now I own the fifth largest business in the world. It's great. We cheer them on, right? But they don't show the morons that followed suit the millions of people whose lives have been wrecked because they thought the key to success was taking a risk in and of itself. I don't want to speak against creativity, but wisdom. If you're in debt and not able to pay your bills, God is not going to lead you to borrow more money. I'm sorry. You may ask for donations or whatever to help, but don't ruin your life thinking faith is just taking a risk. Well, I took a risk. Now, when you obey God, it looks to the outsider who does not have the faith, they're taking a big risk. But to them, it's not a risk. The safest place in all the world is the middle of the will of God. When I was nine, my parents took me and my three younger siblings on a mission trip with them for four years to Liberia, West Africa. To the relatives, it's a huge risk. They would record tapes and send them to us about the risk we were taking. But my parents had this, I don't want to use the word mantra, but this word of wisdom. And this was the word. This was the sword in their hand to fight discouragement. It was this, nothing can happen to me unless God allows it. And if God allows it, it will be for my good. They raised four kids. This is just a testimony, all right? This isn't saying anything about anybody's family. They raised four kids. Before we went to Africa, I had stitches on this elbow so they raised four kids during our childhood, no stitches, and one sprained arm and one black eye, the same kid, <laughs> two different times. No, none of the typical things that kids have. So we were protected, right? Took a risk, but to us, it was normal because, you know, you're, you're vulnerable to your parents. But uh, to my parents, were they really taking a risk? To the outsider, they were, but... Man, if you hear God, you know it. The denomination my parents were part of had been missionaries in Liberia for years, and the government of Liberia would give your denomination permission to establish a base, provided that you went to where they assigned you, and you had to have a school. This is how they educated their nation, by it was Christian schools set up by missions. And so up until this point, there were missionaries in two cities. One was a town, one was a village. And kids would graduate out of the eighth grade, go to the big city and backslide. There was no church there. The denomination taught that there's, there's no other churches that will get you to heaven, just them. So anyway, so my dad heard this, learned this, had a burden for this, and raised $40,000. I remember the thermometer in his church, raising funds, $40,000 to build a church in Monrovia, Liberia. So 
Every chance he got, he would request prayer for a missionary to go to Monrovia, Liberia, and build this church. My, my dad was in his 20s. And uh, he was at one pastor's prayer meeting, and he requested prayer. And Frank Muncie, Stephen Phil Muncie's father, said, Sam Latta, I am sick and tired of hearing about Liberia. Liberia, Liberia, Liberia. You've raised us money. When are you going to follow through and obey God and do what he's called you to do? You're the one that's supposed to go over there. So my dad got his pilot's license, raised his support, and before he was 30 years old, he and his four kids and his wife were in Fossima, Liberia for a year, and then we moved to the city and set up the church in our living room. And the congregation is still there today. Still there. Doing quite well. So it is a risk, but is it really a risk? In and of itself, faith is not a risk. If, if God's faith. It's a big risk if you conjured it up yourself. Went in the Bible and built a case like you're going to blackmail God with the case that we built. And faith is not faith in faith. I have a concern that we can emphasize faith so much that people put faith is powerful, but our faith is not in faith. Our faith is in God. God is greater than our faith. So I'd like to speak to you for the next few minutes on God-pleasing faith. Launching from this verse that we heard earlier, without faith it is impossible to please God. But anyone, we say anyone, anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So looking at the text that we just read, we see that faith that pleases God is faith that worships him. Genesis said, Abel also brought of the first fruit of his flock and of their fat, and the Lord respected Abel in his offering, but he didn't respect Cain's. And then the Lord visits Cain, says, why are you upset? Well, you didn't respect my offering. Well, if you did well, it would be accepted. But if you do not well, sin lies at the door of your heart, and you need to rule over it. Well, Cain rejected that and killed his brother. Poor Cain. No, not poor Cain. Dumb Cain. The sin of murder was at his heart. Envy. Envy is behind so much chaos in the world. There's national envy and individual envy, envy within families, envy within churches, when, and, and envy is a problem that nobody has. We're too prideful to admit it. If you've got envy, you run to the Lord and say, God, get this from my heart. If anything will keep you from living a God-pleasing, faith-filled life, is envy. We read, by faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice. Can we say worship? Through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying. So Cain did offer of the fruits of the ground, and Abel offered the best of his flock. So he did offer a blood sacrifice, which was, you know, God was building a trail of blood, as it were, to reveal the way to the Son of God. But in this case, Abel's faith is what God was honored by. It's what the text says. So God-pleasing faith worships him. God-pleasing faith walks with him. Genesis 5 says that Enoch lived 65 years. He had a son named Methuselah. 
He walked with God for 300 years. And when he was 365, they'd lived a long time before the flood. The atmosphere was different. Radiation in the earth was different. Uh, oxygen was different. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. We read, by faith, Enoch was taken away. He got raptured, as it were. He did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. We say it together, faith pleases God. So how did he have faith? By walking with God. You want to have strong faith? You don't have to go to seminary. You can go to seminary and come out of there with zero faith. Seminary can be a synonym for cemetery. Walking with God is where faith comes. Relationship with the Lord, starting your day, ending your day, uh, interrupting your day. Lord, I'm here and I would just want to spend some time with you. And uh, I don't have a formula for you. Oh, I need a checklist. Well, that'll get you into, into something, behavior modification. But opening your heart, Lord, I'm here. Maybe put on a song or play a song or sing a song and read some scripture and give the Lord your concerns and say, now, Lord, I'm going to trust you. I'm not going to worry about these things anymore. And just walk in faith. You might have a vision, might have a dream. I've had some dreams when I've never had a visitation where the Lord appeared to me. That's just me. Maybe, maybe I'm not as spiritual as you, but I think the common man, those things are very unusual. A common man doesn't have those things, but he's called to walk by faith. So how did Enoch walk with God? I don't know. But I know he had a testimony that he pleased God. God-pleasing faith works for him. Faith doesn't abide alone. It generates fruit. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. Genesis 6, verse 22. Thus Noah did according to all that God commanded him. So he did. It took a century to build a big boat where it had never rained. It wasn't a boatyard. It was his backyard. No. By faith, we read earlier, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, respect, strong respect, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, and became heir of righteousness, which is according to faith. So he believed in God, and he obeyed God. That's God-pleasing faith. Who arrived here by vehicle? Who obeyed the laws? Why? Because you believe they're good laws. You believe they're just laws. You suspended your power of choice. That's what laws do. They cause us to suspend our power of choice. They don't take away our power of choice. They modify our power of choice for the good of mankind. The pro-choice movement is distorting the truth. Sorry, I can't leave this alone. <laughs> Distorting the truth by saying you're taking away people's power of choice. No, our power of choice is, is modified all the time by laws. I mean, I could drive here full blast, 95 mile an hour, if my truck would make it. 
but I would risk my own well-being and the well-being of others. So our choices are modified because of others. I think you can make the connection about others. So you suspend your power of choice in a specific area for the good of others. And then if I wanted to, maybe I could join the sports track down here and race to my heart's content till I rip out a timing gear here in Crescent. Who's seen the racetrack in Crescent? So our choices are adjusted by, by laws. So if you did that, it's because you believe in the laws, right? So your beliefs affect your works, affects your driving. So if you believe in the gospel, you believe in the Lord, then he's going to impact your life. So God-pleasing faith, God's saving faith that he gives us, isn't mental assent to believe that he exists but that he is rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So it affects our seeking. It affects our works. There's people sitting at the house right now. I believe the gospel. I believe in God. Well, guess what? That's demonic faith. How can you say that's demonic faith? Because James wrote the demons believe in one God. And they believe that Jesus died they believe he's the son of God. They believe he rose from the dead, but they don't believe to their point of repentance. Not that they have that opportunity, right? So you believe in Jesus, that's great. Now let's follow through with taking what he said seriously because God's word made flesh did not come to earth to speak meaningless platitudes for us to reinterpret him like, reinterpret him like he's somebody's kin doll and give him a, deif, a, a deity change. He's God. He came and said what he meant and means what he said. Amen. Amen. God-pleasing faith obeys him. Reiterating the same point. In your seed, God told Abraham this on the day that he offered up his son as a potential sacrifice. In Genesis 22. In your seed, Abraham... All the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. And so God risked his son as a sacrifice for our sins. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. folks could mock you on that one, right? So if someone's obeying God, don't mock them, but you question them, how are you sure God spoke to you? I enjoy light. White light has seven colors in it. I'm taking the rainbow back. God created it, right? So white light has seven colors, and so with the prism or with rain, it reveals those seven colors. The voice of God has various ways of speaking. And the more radical a thing he's calling you to do, he will speak to you in more than one word, more than one way. There is his audible voice, which rarely happens. Generally, if God speaks to you audibly, something's wrong. In Noah's case, a flood was coming. There's the inward witness, his inner voice. 
There's his written word. So that's three ways he speaks. There's the gifts of the Spirit. Someone could come to you with a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom. Word of knowledge deals with your present state and your past. Word of wisdom deals with your present state and your future, what you should do. Uh, the gift of prophecy. So you've got to be careful with these things because they've got to line up with the Word. If they contradict the written Word of God, that which has been proven to be inspired, then you've got to hold off till more understanding comes. Either it wasn't God or it's just not time yet. So there's audible voice, inner witness or inner voice, the written Word of God, the gifts of the Spirit, three more. Circumstances. We're not led by circumstances, but circumstances can confirm. So if you can't carry a tune in the bucket, and you say you're called to lead worship, some circumstances have got to line up with the calling. So try voice lessons. No, I'm serious. We had a lady in the church years ago like this, and she pursued that calling and actually recorded a CD, and it was pretty good. Pretty good. So, circumstances. And then good counsel. Good counsel. Two plus two equals four, and it's not going to change. So, if you are wanting to make a financial decision, and you have a friend that's prosperous, seek their counsel. You know? The dealership called me and offered me for what I owe on my car. What do, you, what do you think? Get out from under my debt. Yes. Your friend will say yes, but how much is your next one going to cost? You've got to think these things through. It's a good deal if you've got an extra car and you want to get out from under the indebtedness. So wise counsel can even come from unbelievers. And so uh, I don't want to seem like I've got it all together, but these are generalizations by which God speaks to you. So if he's calling you to sell everything and go to a foreign land and all you have is an audible voice, you need to wait and see if other things confirm. And sometimes confirmation comes in the form of resistance. Before we went to Liberia, the two years before we actually fulfilled the calling, Sickness hit our, hit our house like a ton of bricks. We had chicken pox. We had the measles. We had the mumps. We had the whooping cough. We had the three-day measles. We had the flu. We had the colds. We had all this stuff. So that in Liberia, the only thing we had to fight was malaria. <laughs> and I think I was the only kid that got that. So confirmation can come in the form of resistance. It can. So you've got to have wisdom. Can I get an amen? amen? It's true. So, and if it's God, you better obey him. God-pleasing faith awaits him. By faith, Abraham dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations. This is the ultimate focus of our faith. We're all waiting on this. Whose builder and maker is God. Can we say wait? wait. They that wait on the Lord will renew their strength. God-pleasing faith, trust him. This is Sarah's testimony. By faith, she herself, Sarah herself, 
also received strength to conceive seed because she judged him faithful. She trudged him. She trudged him. She trusted him because she determined God is faithful. The one who promised me he's faithful. At first, she laughed about it. And guess what they named that miracle child? Laughter. How'd you like for your initials to be LOL? <laughs> God-pleasing faith, we're wrapping it up here, seeks God. God-pleasing faith seeks him. He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So our text today is wrapped up in this ver these verses, 13 through 16. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off. They saw them but didn't receive them and were persuaded of them. They were convinced and embraced them. At their funerals, people maybe said they were crazy and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. Truly, if they had been mindful of that country from which they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly, wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he prepared for them a city. Who's looking forward to that city? As a boy growing up, we sang about heaven all the time. And I think maybe the spiritual pendulum has swung too far the other way because we realize, you know, we're here on the earth for a purpose. Let's stop having rapture drills. Our churches didn't have them, but I did go to a church that had rapture drills. We're here to exercise our authority as good citizens, but we also look forward to our heaven. So I love these old songs. This one's called When We All Get to Heaven. The poet is Eliza Hewitt, and her melody maker was Emily Wilson. This is written around the time that uh, the Baptist preacher, Miller, had set a date for the Lord's return, and it hadn't happened, but the longing for heaven didn't, didn't diminish. Why? They had faith to look for that city. Sing the wondrous love of Jesus. Sing his mercy and his grace. In the mansions bright and blessed, he'll prepare for us a place. Sing it if you know it. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, We'll sing and shout the victory. While we walk the pilgrim pathway, clouds will overspread the sky. But when traveling days are over, not a shadow, not a sigh. Let us then be true and faithful, trusting, serving every day. Just one glimpse of him in glory will the toils of life repay. Onward to the prize before us. Soon his beauty will behold. Soon the pearly gates will open. We shall tread the streets of gold. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. Without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Lord, I pray that our lives would please you because the faith we're called to live by 
we are actually living by it. The things we say we believe, we're actually allowing to alter our power of choice. We're actually allowing our self-centered ways to surrender to your holy ways. In Jesus' name. I pray, Lord, for those that are discouraged. I pray, Lord, you'd encourage them. You would remind them of what you brought them through and remind them of what you're taking us to. And, Lord, we're living between the now and the not yet. Thank you, Lord, for the faith that helps us do more than survive, but to overcome and to thrive. Thank you, Lord. Let's worship the Lord.
heard from God about something that appears like a huge risk, what you're hearing is a call to pray and diligently seek Him till the fulfillment of that thing begins to take shape in your life. So it's not, a life of faith is safe, but it's not a call to live a life that no one would say is safe. It's a call that anyone would say is totally safe. It's not a call to live a bubble wrap life. It's a call to take, in the eyes of man, great risks. It is. But you're seeking God all along the way. Getting on your face. That's how confirmations come. That's how answers come. That's how crazy things line up. Step out of the boat. You know, Peter took, we would say, a great risk, right? But he asked the Lord, if it's you, tell me to come. The Lord said, come. So he had the word of the Lord, right? But when he got his eyes off the word and on the circumstances, he began to sink into fear. But then the Lord picked him up and he continued walking with the Lord. The Lord didn't drag him on board. I mean, he continued walking on that water. And so what has God spoken to you? And you just put it away because it looks like too big of a risk. What is he telling you to do? Pray about it. Get prayer. You do that? You're 